0: Well, we live in a culture that is fixated on money, fixated on earthly possessions. We have the uh, keeping up with the Joneses mentality of you know, wanting to have as much or more than the neighbors around us. You know, Malcolm Forbes, the publisher of Forbes magazine, said, He who dies with the most toys wins. John D. Rockefeller, the oil tycoon and at one point the richest man in the world, he was the first billionaire uh, in America, he was asked, how much money is enough? His famous answer, just a little bit more. I think those mindsets towards money and earthly possessions definitely describe uh, our materialistic culture very well. We just need a little bit more. We're never really satisfied. We're never really content with what we have. He who has the most toys or material wealth when he dies wins. That's kind of the the mindset of the materialistic world. Just accumulate as much as you can before you die, and whoever has the most is the victor. Now, money and earthly riches in and of themselves aren't bad, in and of themselves aren't evil. What is good or bad is the mindset and attitude that we have concerning money and riches. What is good or bad is the way in which we use the money and riches That we have. So, the real question we need to ask ourselves is do we have a biblical perspective on money and earthly riches, or do we have a worldly perspective on money and riches? Do we see and use money and earthly riches the way that God wants us to, or do we see and use earthly riches the way the world wants us to? So, our mindset, our attitude, our use of money and earthly riches will ultimately determine whether they're good or whether they're bad. For us. Here in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is going to challenge us with the mindset, with the attitude, with the use of earthly riches that we have. And he's going to do that by sharing with us two different parables. Both of these parables are going to reveal the right and the wrong use of money and riches, the right and wrong perspective and mindset of earthly riches. This morning, we're going to look at the first parable that Jesus shares with us. And next week, we'll look at the second parable that he shares. But both parables, I think, are especially challenging to us in the culture that we live in today because we are faced with such a materialistic mindset around us all the time. And I think what Jesus shares here is very challenging, a very different perspective than what the world tells us our perspective should be concerning earthly life. Riches. Well, let's look at this first parable uh, and what we can learn here from what Jesus shares. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1, says this, He also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and on an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do. Then when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to the other, How much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. So he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. If you remember last week, Jesus shared with us three different parables. And those parables were directed to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, but the disciples were there listening in. Here in chapter 16, Jesus is now directing the parable, this first one, to the disciples, but the religious leaders are there also listening in. We'll see next week the second parable. It's going to be directed towards them. Now, the focus of this first parable is on the actions of a steward. A steward in that time was someone who managed a wealthy man's wealth, managed pretty much everything that he had. They, They managed someone else's money and resources. So the money and resources weren't theirs, but they had the privilege of enjoying it and using it for the profit of the master. Now, I want you to pretend for a moment that you have a steward. You have someone that manages all of your wealth, not just your money, but everything that you have. So every time you get paid from your job, it doesn't go to you, it goes to the steward. And the steward then pays your bills, the steward then invests your money, the steward then buys the things that are necessary, it's his job to manage everything. So if you had someone who did that, it wasn't you who did it, but it was a steward who did it, I think we can all agree that there would be a few important things that we would want in a person who's managing our wealth, some characteristics, some uh, qualities that we would want to see. The, the first important quality in a steward would be that they wouldn't risk us off that they would be trustworthy. I think all of us could agree that we want to pick someone who is not going to steal our money, but is going to use our resources for us. Second, we would want someone who is going to manage our wealth wisely. So another important quality is that they were a wise manager. Third, we'd want someone who understands that the wealth belongs to us, not to them personally, and that they use the wealth for our priorities and for our purposes, not for their own. So they understand their role that they're the steward of our wealth, not the master of our wealth. Now, the steward in this parable was not the kind of steward you would want managing your wealth because he wasn't someone you could trust not to rip you off, as we're going to see, he does that. He wasn't someone who managed your wealth wisely, as we can see that he wasted his master's wealth. He wasn't someone who understood that the wealth he belo- didn't belong to him, instead, it belonged to the master. And he was supposed to use it for the master's purposes, not for his. Well, we're told that the steward was wasting his master's good, and the master finds out about this. And the master calls this man to himself, and he says that he wants him to give an account of his stewardship. You're going to have to tell me how you have used all the wealth that I have. Basically, the master is saying, I am now going to audit you. And you're going to now show all the paperwork and everything of all the transactions that you've made. And you're going to have to show me how you have used the wealth that I put you in a management position over. And the master concludes this uh, confrontation with the steward by saying, you know what? You can no longer be my steward. Essentially, you're fired. Now, before we look at what the steward does in response to what the master tells him that he now has to give an account of, of what he's done, I want us to note something that's very important about our own lives. If you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, something important to understand is that God is now your master, and you are now his steward. And as steward, everything we have ultimately belongs not to us, but to God. God has given us responsibility to be faithful stewards over what we have, but ultimately... It's His. We need to be trustworthy with all that God has given us, to be wise managers of all that God has given us, and most importantly, we need to understand that we are the stewards of all that we have, not the master of all that we have. It ultimately doesn't belong to us, it belongs to Him. Now there are four main areas of life, there's more than that, but I'm just going to list the four main areas where God has given us stewardship. Stewardship. Four main areas where he has said, you know what, I am giving this to you to manage and I want you to manage it wisely. I want you to use it wisely. Not for your own profit and your own glory and your own will, but for my profit and my glory and my will. The first area of stewardship that God has given to us is the area of earthly riches. God desires us to manage our earthly riches, our wealth, our money, our resources that we have in a wise way that profits him And that brings him glory. Now since both of these parables in Luke 16 are going to deal with that, we'll unpackage that more. The second area of stewardship that God has given to us is in the area of spiritual and practical gifts. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 tells us that As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has given each of us gifts, spiritual gifts, practical gifts, and he says, you know what, I want you to take the gifts that I have given to you, and I want you to be good stewards with them. I want you to manage them well. I want you to use the gifts that I have given you, not for your own pleasure and for your own interest, but for me. We need to understand that the gifts we possess are just that, they're gifts. God's given to to us for a reason, and that reason is he wants us to use it for him. The third area... Will you hit that for me? That stewardship that God has given us is the area of our time. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17 says, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Important verse 16, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God wants us to be good stewards of our time. We all have the same amount of time every day. We have 24 hours in the day to do with as we please, no, to do with as the Lord would want us to. You know, time is something that once spent, you can never get back. And so we need to spend it wisely. That's why this verse is saying, redeem the time. Take advantage of the time you have. Use it in a wise way for the Lord. And the fourth area of stewardship that God has given to us is in the area of ministry. You know, all of us as believers in Christ have plenty of different ministries that God has given to us in general. There's also specific ministries that God has given to us, but we don't even need to address those. Every one of us is called to be a light in this dark world. We're called to share the gospel and make disciples. We're called to love one another as Jesus loved us. We're called to be godly husbands and godly wives and godly parents and godly children, ultimately godly in every relationship that we have. We're called to pray and study the Bible and worship God. And and the list goes on and on. And God says, I want you to be good stewards of these ministries that I've given you. So those are the four main areas of stewardship that God has given to each of us. And I've just mentioned them briefly. We could easily do a full sermon on each one of them. But the point that I want you to see is that God wants to be the master of every area of our life. And he wants us to recognize that we're just stewards. We're just stewards of our resources. We're just stewards of our time. We're just stewards of our gifts. We're just stewards of our ministries. We're not the master over those things. We're the steward over those things. And I think the question that each one of us need to ask ourselves is, how am I managing what God has given me? How am I managing my earthly riches? How am I managing the gifts that God has given me? How am I managing my time? How am I managing my ministries? Am I being a faithful steward of what God has entrusted me with? Or am I more like the steward in this parable who wasted what was entrusted to him? Who didn't faithfully manage what was entrusted to him? You know, I think the best way to answer those questions is to really look at all four of these things and be honest with yourself and ask yourself some very important questions. What am I spending my money and earthly resources on? You get out your checkbook and you look at where you spend your money. It's going to show you whether it's all about me or it's about God. You're going to see it real quick. How are you using the gifts that God has given to you? What are you investing your time in? How are you doing with the ministries you've been given? I think the answer to those questions will give you a pretty good idea of what kind of steward you're being. You're going to either be a faithful steward or a wasteful steward. Now we noted that the master in this parable made a steward give an account of how he managed the master's wealth, and I think something very important to understand about us, and also somewhat sobering to understand, is that you and I are going to have to give an account to God, our master, the day that we die for the things that we've done in this life for him. Romans 14, 12 said, each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. When we die, we're going to have to give an account to God of what we've done, how we've managed the things that he's given us in this life, our resources, our gifts, our ministry, our time. He's going to have us stand before him, and we're going to have to say, this is what I've done. And here's a sobering question to ask yourself. If you die today, would you feel confident? Would you feel comfortable standing before the Lord and giving an account of how you spent your time? Giving an account of how you spent your resources? Giving an account of how you spent your gifts? Giving an account of how you spent your ministries? Right now, if you die, you say, You know, I'm confident, I'm comfortable standing before the Lord and sharing all those things because I have been faithful in them. Well, if you wouldn't feel comfortable, if you wouldn't feel confident, Giving an account to God today, I think that's a good demonstration that there's things that need to change. That you recognize, you know what, I'm not being a good steward of what God has given to me, and I want that to be different. Well, when the steward in this parable finds out he has to give an account, he has to tell the master how he's been spending his master's goods, he does something very drastic. And it's that thing, the thing that he does that is drastic, that Jesus highlights as an action and a challenge for his listeners. Well, let's see what this steward does as he is challenged with that. Verse three, Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do. Then when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master?" And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to the other, and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. The steward knows he's about to lose his job. He knows that he's in a bad position. He knows that his future is bleak. He says, you know what, I can't dig. Pretty much anyone can dig. I guess he's just a guy who's been in the office all day, and, and he says, I'm too ashamed to beg. It's kind of funny. He's not ashamed to steal, but he's ashamed to beg. So he's kind of looking at his future and saying, you know what, once I lose this job, the future looks very bleak for me, so what am I going to do? Well, as the steward thinks about his bleak future, he comes up with a plan to better his future, a plan to prepare for his future. And the way he prepares for his future is by making friends with the master's debtors. But I want you to know the way in which he makes friends with them. The master has these debtors, people that owe him money or owe him resources. And so the steward comes to them, and he comes to the first guy, and he owes the master 100 measures of oil. And he says, quickly, write down 50. So he gives this guy a 50% discount. You're only going to have to pay 50 instead of a hundred measures of oil back to the master. Another owed a hundred measures of wheat, and he only made him pay 80. So he gives him a 20% discount. Now what this steward is doing is saying, you know what, I'm going to get into the debt of these guys. They're going to now owe me because I've just saved them a bundle of money. And now when I get thrown out of the master's house, guess where I'm going? I'm going to go to these guys' house. I'm going to go spend time with them. They're going to feel obligated to invite me in and let me stay because of what I've just done to give them this great discount. Obviously, it's dishonest. But, you know, when the master sees what the steward did, we're told he commended the unjust steward because he dealt shrewdly. Now, this is interesting. The Greek word translated shrewdly means to make wise use of an opportunity. To make wise use of an opportunity. When this unjust steward found out his future's bleak, found out he's going to lose a job, found out he doesn't know what he's going to do, he says, you know what? I'm going to make use of an opportunity now for the future. I'm going to do something now to try to take care of my future. And what does he do? He goes and he ultimately rips off his master in order to gain approval with these guys Now this is interesting because obviously as you you read this, some Christians have had problems with it because at first glance it might seem like Jesus is saying, hey, it's good that this guy ripped off his master. Hey, it's good that this guy was deceitful. Hey, it's good that this guy did this. That's not what Jesus is focusing on. It's not what Jesus is commending. He's not focusing on his dishonesty or his deceit. He's praising his shrewdness, using his present opportunity to provide for his inevitable future needs. Notice Jesus calls this man unjust. He's very clear what this guy is. He's an unjust steward. He's an ungodly guy. His actions are sinful. But Jesus is also pointing out we can learn a valuable lesson from him. He says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. The point Jesus is making is that the unjust steward is more shrewd and wise when it came to an opportunity for the future than many sons of light, than many followers of Christ are. Something we need to understand is that Jesus uses two different types of parables. Parables of comparison and parables of contrast. Last week we saw three parables of comparison. The most famous one was the parable of the uh, prodigal son. God is comparing himself to that loving Father who forgives his son, who brings his son back. It's a, it's a comparison. God's saying, I am like this. And the parable of the, the prodigal son was the, the wayward son, the, the sinful son who needed to come and, and repent. And he's saying, lost people are like this. It's a comparison. But yet here in this parable, it's not a comparison. It's a contrast. Jesus isn't saying, you guys need to be those unjust Or unfaithful stewards, you guys need to be deceitful, you guys need to be, you know, crafty and cunning in that way. He's not saying that, he's saying, this unfaithful steward was shrewd. He used his present opportunity to provide for his future, and if an unfaithful steward can use his present opportunity to provide for his future, how much more so should a faithful follower of me do that? In chapter 18 of Luke, we're going to see another contrasting parable. God's going to talk about the unjust judge. And he's contrasting the unjust judge with the just judge, our heavenly father. He's not comparing himself to it. He's not saying God is an unjust judge. He's saying it's a contrast. If the unjust judge knows how to deal justly at some point in time, how much more will the just judge, God of all the universe, always deal justly? So when you read, you need to understand there are parables that compare and there are parables that contrast. And this is one of those parables that are contrasting. And that's where I think Christians get like, oh my goodness, Jesus is telling us we should be sinful. No, he's not. He's saying there's a specific attribute within this unjust steward. He was shrewd. And he didn't use his shrewdness in a godly way, he used it in a sinful way, but yet the shrewdness is what Jesus is emphasizing because he took that present opportunity and focused on the future. How can I use what I have now to help benefit my future? And Jesus is saying, you know what, as believers in him, we should take advantage of what we have now to benefit the future. The unfaithful steward saw what was coming. He saw he was going to have to give an account of his stewardship, so he used what was entrusted to him while he still could to prepare for his future. As Christians, we're going to have to give an account to God for our stewardship, but are we making wise use of the opportunity of the stewardship God has given us? Are we using what he has been entrusted to us to prepare for our future? You know, the world often does a great job of taking advantage of the present prepare for the future, usually using sinful tactics, but oftentimes Christians aren't as focused on that, of taking advantage of what we've been given now with a mindset of the future, how we're going to prepare for the future. So through this parable, Jesus is saying, a faithful steward will use his master's wealth shrewdly or wisely to provide true riches for eternity. Well, in verses 9 through 13, Jesus is going to give us the application. So oftentimes, he shares parables, and then right after that, he explains what he wants his listeners to take away from it, and that's what he's going to do here as well. Verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another's man's, who will give you what is your own? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon." There are three points that Jesus wants us to take from this parable of this unfaithful steward. The first point is in verse 9. He says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now this word mammon is an Aramaic word. It means riches. So when Jesus says, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, he's speaking about using the riches of this world. So make friends by using the riches of this world so that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Notice that Jesus uses the unjust steward as an example, but then he changes some important elements for us. The unjust steward uses the riches of the world to make for himself friends so that when he got fired, those friends would welcome him into their homes. Jesus is saying as believers, we should do something similar, but with a different purpose. Notice the friends that we are challenged to make are going to receive us into an everlasting home, which is speaking of heaven. The first point that Jesus makes in this parable is to use the earthly riches and resources that God has given you with a focus on eternity. To use the earthly riches and resources that God has given you with a focus on eternity. We need to use the resources we have in this life to help spread the gospel, to help make disciples, to help impact people for eternity. The unjust steward used worldly riches to make friends so they would receive him and spend time with him in this life. But Jesus is saying, we need to use worldly riches that we have to make converted friends through the gospel so that we can spend time with them in eternity. You know, the world is filled with financial planners and advisors, and and it's good for Christians to, you know, take advantage and learn how to use their money wisely, but I think most Christians talk about wise money management, they forget to practice the most important long-term investing there is, and that's investing with a focus on eternity. Oh, yes, we have investments for retirement, for when we're old, for when we're going to need more money, and there's nothing wrong with that. But so often Christians aren't focusing on something that's even greater than when I'm in my 60s or 70s or 80s. But what happens in eternity? Am I focused on investing my resources now for eternity? To use my money in a way that will have an eternal impact, to use my resources in a way that will reach people's lives for eternity that will help people share the gospel, that will help people make disciples. So the first point that Jesus shares with us is to use earthly riches and resources that God has given us with a focus on eternity. The second point is verse, in verses um, 10 through 12. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches. And if you have not been faithful in what is another's man's, who will give you what is your own? Now there's three interesting contrasts here in these verses between what is temporal and what is eternal. Notice them. First you have a contrast between least, which is focusing on the temporal, and much, which is focusing on the eternal. Second, you have a contrast between unrighteous mammon, which is focusing on the temporal, and true riches, which is focusing on the eternal. And third, you have a contrast between that which is another's, which is focusing on the temporal, and that which is yours, which is focusing on the eternal. Jesus starts by saying, "Who? He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Jesus is giving us an important principle that, you know, doesn't take rocket science to figure out. When someone is faithful in the little things, that reveals they're also going to be faithful in the big things. When they're not faithful in the little things, it shows that they're not ready to receive more. You go into any business today, and if they're successful, that's the way in which they operate. People aren't advanced to higher positions in a company if they haven't proven to be faithful in a lower position. The boss doesn't come and say, you know what, you're late every day, you never do what we tell you to do, you never fulfill the tasks that we give, but you know what, we're going to give you a promotion and we're going to make you a manager because we're so happy for your laziness and your lack of production. No, you're fired. You don't get promoted if you're bad, you get demoted. The reality is the only reason you get promoted is, you know what, you come on time, you work hard, you do what we tell you, and now we want to give you more because you've been faithful in what we've already given you. Now, what Jesus is doing is taking this important principle and extending it to eternity. The second point that Jesus shares with us is your faithfulness with temporal riches, the riches of this life, has a direct impact on eternal riches in heaven. You know, on this earth, we're all stewards. We're all in charge of things here in this life. And those things are another's, as we already noted, speaking of God's. He's the master, we're the steward. So in this life, these things don't belong to us. They belong to him. We're just stewards. But you know what? There's going to come a time when we're in heaven and the things that we do have actually will belong to us. The earthly riches that we have, we will enjoy for eternity in heaven. They're not going to be gods. He's going to give them to us. We're not going to be the stewards of them. We're going to be the masters of them. And so Jesus is saying, here in this life, you're the steward of these things. And how you use those things in this life will determine how much of a master you are of the things that you'll receive in heaven, But here's the main point that Jesus is making. The amount of true riches that we'll receive in heaven depends on how faithful we are to manage the earthly riches God has made us stewards over in this life. What you're going to receive as eternal rewards in heaven depends ultimately on how you use the earthly resources God has given you. This is what Jesus is communicating when he says, Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, or earthly wealth, who will commit to your trust true riches, heavenly riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, God's, who will give you what's your own? If you haven't been faithful to manage God's resources here in this life, why is he going to reward you in eternity? This principle is clearly seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11-15, through 15, and Paul talking about eternal rewards. Notice what he says. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation of Jesus Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he had built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, for he himself will be saved, yet is through fire." When you and I die as believers, you know, sometimes we have this concept of, well, Jesus died for our sins, and when we stand before him, we're not going to be judged. No, we're not going to be judged for our sins. Our sins have been wiped white as snow. We're not going to be condemned or sent to hell from them because we've accepted Jesus. But there is going to be a judgment. There is going to be an accountability. There's going to be us giving an account. Now that we've accepted God and all the resources that he's given to us and the stewardship that we've been given, we're going to stand before him and give an account for that. And, he's, and this is what this passage is talking about. The things that we have done for God are going to be like gold and silver and precious stones. And when they're tested by the fire, they're going to last and you're going to have an eternal reward for them. So, the things that we've done in this life, when we've been good stewards of our money, good stewards of our gifts, good stewards of our time, good stewards of our ministries, when we've done them for God's will and God's purposes, not our own, God says, when you stand before Him after you die, He's going to say, Here are eternal rewards for being a good steward in this life. But you know what? All of us are guilty of not being good stewards in some of those areas or in all of those areas at points in time and resources that we use for our own glory instead of God, time that we wasted, gifts that we didn't use, and we're gonna stand before God and those are gonna be what this passage is saying, wood, hay, and stubble. And when the fire gets those, it consumes them. No eternal reward for those because those weren't done for the Lord. But an important verse in all of that is, notice what verse 15 says. If another one's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet is through fire. Notice the important phrase, but he himself will be saved. This is not discussing an issue of losing your salvation because you haven't been a faithful steward of what God has given you. This is saying, you know what, we're all going to have to give an account as believers before the Lord. And you might have been a horrible steward, a faithless steward your whole life. You're still going to be saved, but rewardless. All the ways in which you could have been rewarded for serving the Lord properly in this life, you squandered and wasted. And so when you stand before him, all the rewards you could have received, you're not going to get. You're still going to be in heaven. You're still going to be with the Lord. But yet, you're not going to have the rewards that you could have had if you would have been faithful in your stewardship. You know, you and I are 100% guaranteed to lose all the money and possessions we accumulate on this earth. All of us are going to die, and all of us are going to lose everything that we've acquired and accumulated here. You're 100% guaranteed of that. You know what? You're also 100% guaranteed to keep all the rewards you store up in heaven. And you get to keep them for all eternity. The sad reality is many Christians major on resources and storing up things in this life and minor on storing up treasures in heaven. And this is why Jesus says some very important words to us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus challenged, you know what? You really want to store up treasures? Do it in heaven. Use your earthly resources for God, and you'll store up heavenly resources and gifts. So the first point Jesus shares with us is to use the money and resources that God has given us with a focus on eternity. The second point that Jesus shares with us is our faithfulness with temporal riches God has made us stewards over directly impacts the eternal rewards we'll receive. The final point that Jesus makes is in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You know, there are a lot of people trying to serve two masters. The two masters that Jesus is referring to here is first God, and as we already noted, mammon, that Aramaic word that's speaking of riches of this life. I am trying to serve God, and I'm trying to serve the riches, the wealth, the, the materialistic mindset of this culture at the same time. And Jesus says, you know what? You need to understand serving two masters is impossible. You might think that you're doing it. You might think you're being successful in it, but it's impossible. And here's the ultimate result of trying to serve two masters. He says, you're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to despise one and you're going to be loyal to the other. And here's the problem. People who are trying to serve God and serve materialism and and the, the treasures of this life, ultimately the end result is they love the one they shouldn't, which is the riches of this world, and they start to hate the one they shouldn't, which is God. They start to be loyal to the riches of this world instead of loyal to God. You cannot serve the riches of this earth and God at the same time. The third point that Jesus shares with us is you can only have one master. And obviously his point is that master needs to be God. But that's the reality. No matter who your master is, there can only be one. If it's materialism, if it's the, the wealth of this world, then that's what it is. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you can have that and God as your master. You're only going to have one master. The question is, who is it? You know, there are a lot of Christians who say, Oh, I give my life to God to do with it as he pleases. But that doesn't include their money. That doesn't include their riches. Those things, their mindset is, oh, no, no, I've earned that. I do what I want with that. I do it as I please with that. That's not God's. Just everything else is. Those kind of Christians are trying to serve two masters, and it doesn't work. You can only serve the one master. Now, the point that Jesus makes here, I think, is very important that he puts it at the end because it connects with the two points that he made before. Because Jesus has already challenged us to use earthly riches and resources that God has given us with a focus on eternity. And how our faithfulness with temporal riches that God has made us stewards over will impact the eternal rewards will we receive. So the main challenge Jesus has given us is to use our earthly riches and resources in this life for God's purposes and for God's glory. To recognize that everything we have belongs to Him and I'm supposed to manage it on his behalf. But guess what? The only way that you and I are going to take up that challenge, the only way that you and I are going to manage all that we have in this life for God is if God is our only master. If we're trying to say, I have God as my master and earthly riches as my master, Jesus is saying, here's the problem. Guess what? You're never going to live with the things of this life with a mindset on eternity because that's ultimately your master. You're just living for it and all that you can get and indulging in it. You won't do the first two points if the third point isn't there. If God is not the sole master of your life, you're not going to be able to fulfill the first two. So if you're struggling with using your money and resources for God, if you're struggling with tithing money to God, if you're struggling with helping another brother and sister in Christ who's who's financially hurting if you struggle with supporting a ministry or a missionary work that God is doing, if you struggle giving to people who are in desperate situations, ultimately, if you struggle letting go of your money or struggle letting go of your resources, I think that's a good sign that perhaps you're trying to serve two masters. That this one is so big in your life that you're not willing to let it go to God, that you're not willing to do something with it besides focus on how does this benefit me, how can I use this for me, how can I do this for me. Serving earthly riches just takes you away from serving the Lord. The way to make God the master of your life is ultimately give him every area of your life. And I think for all of us, there are certain areas that are a lot easier for us to give away. For some, giving away riches, giving away money, that's not a big deal. But giving away time, I don't know about that, God. You can have my money, but don't expect me to give you my time. For others, you know, they're fine with time, but you know, they don't want to give God the gifts that they have. I'm using those gifts for me. Those are great gifts. Thanks for giving them to me, but you know, I'm going to use them for my glory. Or for others, you know, it's the ministries that God has given that they really don't want to be faithful in. You know, I know that you've called me to be a godly husband and, and father and, and a man of God or a woman of God, but you know what? I'm not really too concerned about being faithful in those. You know, I vividly remember the day I finally understood this vital truth, it was in Bible college, I was listening to a teacher teach you know, on this topic, and it finally clicked. The light bulb went on, it finally sunk in, and I realized that up to that point in time, I saw myself as the master of everything in my life. It was all mine to do with as I please. I did not see myself as the steward and God as the master, and that I was just managing what he had given me. I saw myself as this is all mine to do with as I want. And it finally clicked that was unbiblical, that was wrong. Because I was living with my earthly resources were all about me and how I could benefit my life. The gifts that God had given me, it was really just mainly living for me. My time was all about me. And a lot of the ministries I didn't really even concern myself with. But you know what, I tithed on a regular basis and I thought that made me a good steward. My mindset was, Lord, here's the percentage of my money that I'm going to give to you. You're the master of that. And I'm the steward of that. Here we go. We got a good deal. You're the master of this percentage, and I'm the steward of this percentage, but everything else is mine, and I'm the master of that. And I thought, I'm being a good steward because I'm giving you a percentage of it, right? And God showed me, no, no, no. It's nice that I get this percentage, but you know what? I need it all because I'm the master of it all. And until you understand that you're a steward of everything, not just the tithe, You won't understand your true purpose in this life. I remember at the end of that class, I got alone with the Lord and repented for really living all the way up to that point in time as the master. Repented for really just being selfish and recognizing that, you know what, it's all been about me and not about you. It's all been about pursuing my desires and my will and not yours. And I asked the Lord to change my mindset and my attitude and how I lived To recognize that everything I have belongs to Him and I just want to manage it for Him. You know, and the Lord really answered that prayer. He helped me to change the way I viewed myself. He helped me to change the way I viewed my gifts and my time and my resources. And to see that I'm just the steward. I haven't always been faithful in that over the years. But God has really helped me to change in that. It's changed the direction of my life, the ministries I've done, the way I've used the resources I have, the choices I've made. I know it's the reason that I'm here today pastoring this church, because if I didn't recognize that God was a master and I was a steward, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be doing something that would give me a lot more money. I'd be doing something that would you know, feed my desires. But you know what, when I die and stand before the Lord to give an account of how I have used the resources he has given me, I want Jesus to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant or steward. I hope that's the words that you want to hear as well. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the reality is, unless we're being good and faithful servants, when we stand before the Lord, we're not going to hear that. What we do with the resources God has given us in this life will determine so much for us in eternity. So I want to finish with just pondering some questions. How are you managing what God has given you? How are you managing your money, your time, your gifts, your ministries? Are you being a faithful steward of what God has entrusted you with? Are you willing to use the earthly resources that he's given you ultimately for his glory and for his kingdom? If after pondering those questions, you feel like, you know what, I am living like the master and not the steward, I encourage you to do what I did when I was back in Bible college. We're going to close this morning just taking some time just to be quiet before the Lord. And if you feel this morning, you know what, I'm not being a steward, I'm being a master. Or maybe in some areas of my life, I'm a steward. In other areas of my life, I'm a master. But the reality is I'm not being faithful to manage all that God has given me. I would encourage you this morning, recognize that and first repent of it. Come before the Lord and say, Lord, I recognize this is an area of my life where I'm not doing what you've commanded me to do. It's sinful. It's wrong. And I want to confess to you that I want to stop. I want to repent. But don't just leave it there. Then I would challenge you to ask God to help you first and foremost change your mindset towards these things because we're bombarded with an opposing mindset all the time and for the Lord to help us see it differently but more importantly now use all that he's given us in a way that would bring glory and honor to him.